We are kicking off episode seven here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I'm your host, Jason Duey, joined by head coach Frank Monica. We are very excited to bring you this show. Of course, we're going to have LHSAA prep talk. We're going to recap week seven pre- and also recap preview week eight. Uh, we're going to talk some local college football between LSU and Tulane, some big things coming out of there. We'll touch on the Saints as well. In the Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to go ahead and talk about um, salaries in sports. Coach is going to discuss his developing game plans and call sheets in the Football 101 segment. And in the Let Thanks for the Memory segment, we're going to talk about the 1999 St. Charles Catholic football team. Also, we have special guest, Newman head football coach, Nelson Stewart, but we're going to go ahead and bring on Coach Monica. Coach, a lot of excitement in the world of college football in Louisiana. I know we always kind of preview high school, but a lot of big things happening this weekend in, in the college game for the local teams. No question. I, I think, Jason, what we need to talk about, that a lot of people are kind of overlooking Tulane University. You know, in Vegas, they were actually picked to maybe win the, the spread was like five and a half games in Vegas in, way back in August. And they've already superseded that. Yeah. So, and I know everybody said this, that Bo eligible, knowing Coach Fritz, who we had on, the, on one of our shows, uh, I think they're thinking about bigger things now. And, and let's hope that they can win a few more ball games and, and even get that big, that big bowl game that everybody's been uh, aspiring to have. Let's go ahead and take a look at week seven in the LHSAA game. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start looking at Turlings Catholic, who took on LCA. It was a 21-17 victory for Turlings Catholic, a big win for that team and program. They remain unbeaten in a really tough district in 4A out there. Um, it's a 4-4A game. LCA led 10-7 going into half, and that's tough to overcome uh, when you're talking about a very quality ball club in LCA who has Division One talent all over the field. Uh, Turlings offense woke up in the third, scored a 16-yard touchdown to give them the lead. But LCA connected on a 41-yard touchdown pass. Coach, you know how much big playability that team has. And LCA ended up having a chance to put the game away with just over two minutes left, had the ball on the five-yard line. Penalties pushed them out of field goal range. Turlings drove down the field with two minutes. And on fourth and goal from the 37-yard line, Welsh connected with Kane for the go-ahead touchdown with 34 seconds as the Rebels remain unbeaten. Just a crazy finish out there. And uh, Turlings Catholic, a very good football team that might be getting overlooked because of the teams like LCA, but proving they can hang with just about anybody in the state. No question. I think uh, Turlings are very, very fortunate to win that ball game, and they were very fortunate to to beat uh, St. Charles Catholic early in the year. But, uh, you know, good football teams – Find a way. Good football teams, kids that are resilient. That's the big word nowadays. And and I think that uh, give them a lot of credit for hanging in there. Lafayette Christian is not the same Lafayette Christian, but they're still a very, very good football team. And Turlings now is the number one seed in, in, in Division two, uh, Division two. A lot of those Division one prospects that we discussed are sophomores and juniors on LCA. So uh, an influx of young talent for LCA, and you'll see them in the same spot next year. A coach Curtis defeated Acadiana on the road, thirty-five to fourteen. A big win for Curtis. Not a surprise because Curtis constantly wins these big games, but the fashion and the manner that they did maybe opening up a few odds. Yeah, it was weird about that. Both of those teams are, are basically Veer football teams, Veer offenses, and two, two of the best Veer offenses you've ever seen. 
Uh, they're really, really good at, at running the ball and, and actually pitching the ball. They don't turn it over. And uh, Curtis has been very good at not turning it over because they've been, been accustomed. They have a few turnovers in, in their offense uh, as of late, but um, it looks like they've corrected that within the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're very good up front. They actually rotate like 10 offensive linemen on various snaps, and uh, they had a big 70-yard run on the first play of the second half that kind of separated the, 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 the game right there. And it ended up 35-14, and, and Curtis had over 300 yards rushing. And, I mean, and, and on the road like that to be the real, real fine Acadiana team, might add they might meet again because, remember, Acadiana is now a select football team. And looking at another game was Covington defeating Hammond 18-34. to Hammond is kind of a bit of a surprise, Coach. They're picking up their fifth win of the season, 5-2 and two on the year. Covington falls to 5-2. and two. But this is a, a Hammond team that's one win away from their first season above 500 since 2018. So for them to go out and beat a team like Covington, which is a very quality opponent in a tough district where there are no gimme wins, is quite an impressive feat. And I think there's an opportunity here for Hammond to continue building and maybe see them try to make a push in the playoffs and, and make a bit of a run. I talked to one of the former assistant coaches, and he's not surprised at all. He said because the talent was there, but they just seem to be well-organized now and they feel like they believe in themselves, and that's all it takes once you get on a little momentum. Those kids, are th- sometimes they think they're better than what they are, but I understand they also have the talent to back that up. Lutcher defeated Hornville 35-14. to 14. Coach, Lutcher just keeps on rolling. We discussed it quite a few times that they have a very good chance at being near the end or in the Superdome when it comes down to the finals in their bracket. Again, proving that they can play up, play 5A competition. I know Hornville is not quite where they would like to be at this point in the season, but hats off to Lutcher for going playing a bigger quality football team in Hornville and coming away with a double-digit win. I think, you know, that team actually it validates their schedule, too, because really the schedule rest of the way is not really, really tough. And I think this this really makes them a contender. And uh, they really manhandled a, a real fine 5A football team in, in Hornville right there. And uh, also, if you go down the bracket and you look at, at the, the 24 teams that will make that, they're where I think they're a superior football team. They're definitely a team, as you just said, Jason, that could end up in, in the Superdome in December, especially if Winfield stays healthy at that quarterback because that guy's a man and he's hard to take down and he's going to carry the ball 20, 25 times a game and plus he can throw it. Coach, uh, kind of a lateral conversation while we're on this topic. You mentioned Lutcher's end of the season schedule might not be up to snuff in terms of the competition they're maybe used to playing. How, as a head coach, from your perspective, how does that impact your preparation and your planning when you're going into the playoffs and you know, look, I, my biggest game left on the schedule is week seven. I've got to keep my team mentally checked in and prepared for those final games before heading into the playoffs. So you just have to really keep, continue doing the things you've done that have been successful, but it also gives you an opportunity to experiment a little bit. It gives you an opportunity to try some personnel changes, maybe some packages, maybe a run here or throw there, a screen pass or something like that. Uh, maybe experiment with, with just the different rotations. I think it's very, very important. And there's nothing like allowing some kids to get into some game time, maybe a second unit group to give them some quality time, give them some quality snaps and, and let them play a little bit because there's nothing like a kid coming to the sideline and say, hey, I played in this game and something like that. Plus, you want to stay healthy. You want to enter the playoffs playing really, really well. But you got to be very, very careful about, about your team kind of losing some momentum also. Thanks, Coach. And Carr defeated Jesuit 33-17. to Carr continues to roll and prove that they are the team to beat 
maybe in the entire state, uh, a fantastic ball club. But the tightest game that Carr has played on the scoreboard um, was this game. Jesuit gave Carr their toughest test of the year, as I mentioned. Um, Carr scored on its first three possessions, positioned themselves in the driver's seat with a 19-3 lead, never really let up. Carr's offense went for 468 yards against a very disciplined Jesuit defense. Impressive day for Carr, but as you've mentioned, Coach, people have been saying this could be the best team that they've Carr team they've ever seen, which is you know, they, quite a statement. Give, give Jesuits uh, credit just the fact that they stayed close to him and the score is, was that actually that close. But Jesuit just fights. They really they are a sound football team. You have to defeat them. Uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna back down. They will compete. Uh, and that as a coach, that's what you want. You want kids that will compete. No matter what the score, not even look at the scoreboard, but Carr, with all that talent they have, they just have too much speed on the on the field, and they have too many game breakers. They got so many guys that can take the game over, whether it's a running back, a quarterback, even a defensive back, a, a punt returner, a kickoff returner. They have so many w- weapons they have on their football team, and nobody mentions the, the fine D line and offensive line that they possess. So, and they're well, well coached. Coach has done a phenomenal job for years with them, and uh, the kids know what to expect, and and they, he really has them well-disciplined. Coach St. Martinville defeated St. Charles Catholic 35-25. to 25. Uh, You were at that game. What are your thoughts on the way that game played out? Well, St. Martinville is good as advertised. They only had two wins coming in, but they played a tough schedule, and they're really, really a very physical football team. They're 4A school. St. Charles was without seven starters, three on offense and, and four on defense, and and, uh, and it really showed, especially on defense, because St. Martin was physically bigger up front and, uh, and St. Charles had, had a problem stopping the run. And, uh, and, and St. Charles had a problem running the football when they needed to run the football inside, especially. But they, they had some new players. Their best back was out. And, uh, and uh, they didn't find that out till Thursday, the Thursday night before the ball game. But give St. Martinville a lot of credit because uh, they were they were pretty, pretty tough football team. They, they big played uh, St. Charles. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you stay away from the big play, you have a chance to win. But uh, I think the comments will be back. I think they'll be back and they'll get some kids back this week and, and they'll make a run. And, and then they got the, you know, two games here that they, sh- they they have a very good opportunity to win. And then the last one against Newman and then now in the playoffs. They're still number two in the power ranking. And, and St. Martin's is going to be a team that really will fool some people. So uh, stay tuned to them. I, I really think they're well organized and, and a team that can really contend in 4A. Let's move on to some Week 8 previews, some big games coming up this upcoming Friday. The first game I'm going to talk about is Destrahan at Sulphur. Destrahan is 7-0, and outscoring opponents. This, this is video game numbers, Coach. 312-17, to 17, they're outscoring opponents. It's not like they played a bunch of slappies. Uh, they played some really good football teams. Uh, they've been dominating on both sides of the football. Sulphur only 2-5 and five on the year, trying to pit – get a massive upset at home. You have to keep in mind, Destran is taking a long road trip out West. Could that play into the game and affect their mentality? I wouldn't expect that to happen, but you never know when you have those big road trips. Well, you know, Destran is one of the best teams in the state. And I think they haven't been tested at all yet. I mean, I, I don't think they've played really a tough schedule at all. They're not going to get it. Anybody in their district that's going to contend. Maybe East St. John is having a fine year. 
but St. John, I don't think they have the people that can that can stand up to Death Strand. I don't look for that game to to be to go St. John, East St. John's way. Uh, this this trip at Sulphur does break them away from the district. I think Sulphur will be a better test for them than anybody else in their district. To be honest with you, but but look for Death Strand to to be one of those teams. And and I said this before. I think the River Paris could have Death Strand, uh, St. Charles Catholic, Lutcher, and Riverside all end up in the Superdome. Very good possibility that could happen. St. Aug takes on Curtis on Saturday. Uh, both teams are heading to this game 6-1. and one. What I find fascinating is the drastic contrast in style. And I love when you have uh, a round peg in a square hole, you know, trying to see the, the drastic styles and change of play. St. Aug wants to air it out, high scoring, high flying. Curtis is ground and pound, run the football, option offense. And I am fascinated to see how this game plays out. I think it's going to come down to – who can impose their will offensively on the other team and make them play at their pace? Well, you know, St. Aug, I saw them on tape against uh, against Rumble, and, and they had a running back that went 240 yards on the ground, so they can also throw it. And, uh, and on defense, they'll play man coverage, and and uh, sometimes that man coverage will be be tough against a veered uh, triple option team like like John Curtis. And John Curtis could really run the ball and control the clock. And I think I'm sure that Coach Curtis right now is telling them, hey, let's let's control the clock a little bit, keep their offense off the field because they do have an explosive offense. And that's what happened the other day when Rumble got close to him. Uh, they popped a 70 yard run on him, and all of a sudden the game was out of was, was out of kilter somewhat. So, but that should be a real, real uh, a war in the trenches. I would love to see that one. Next up, we have Rummel at Brother Martin. Rummel's four and three. Brother Martin's five and two. Brother Martin's grind out some pretty tight wins the past two weeks. Uh, they've had some low-scoring ball games that they've been on top. Rummel on a three-game skid at the moment, looking to flip the script, and it's going to be tough against a quality opponent in Brother Martin, who has proven they can win in a multitude of ways. That game could be moved to Southeastern, and uh, it would be a nice venue out there. It would be Brother Martin's home game, and Brother Martin is really big up front. They can run the football, and and that matchup right there, Rumble is is, is not really big up front. Uh, they're going to have to rely on that quarterback, Coach uh, Casey Avor, to, to have a very, very good night actually throwing the ball. Um, so that could be a, a real, real tight football game. And I think both of them are trying to, trying to find their identity in the Catholic League, knowing right now the class of the league seems to be Carr, John Curtis, and St. Aug. And uh, so that I think the rest of the guys are, are just find, finding a way to try to build up their power ranking and maybe get a better seed in the playoffs. Next up, we have St. Thomas Moore at Turlings Catholic. We just mentioned Turlings Catholic 7-0, St. Thomas Moore 6-1. This is a big district matchup. This is likely going to be for the district title and two very good ball clubs, both of which might be seeing each other again. Uh, very athletic teams that have a ton of talent on the field, and it's going to be a war. Uh, between these ball clubs and it's you know it's, 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 both of these teams i felt that both these teams years ago should have been in 5a and um at one time when they had the opportunity to to be there but they when they were combining that was just a in an infinite infinite wisdom one time put the four age with the three age which was totally unfair especially when, when we were coaching that was that was part of that mess and uh but this is going to be a great game in lafayette area for them 
I think the fans have been asking for this particular matchup for a long, long time. Uh, St. Thomas Moore is still a very good football team. Uh, the, the quarterback for Turlins has to play well. He's very capable of playing well. And Turlins is well coached, and I know St. Thomas Moore is, and Coach Hightower is over there. And, you know, he's got well over 300 wins and Hall of Fame guys. So um, they have a great, great program. And so it, it's going to be a packed house and uh, with a lot of excitement. That game is going to probably go to overtime. Next in our next matchup, we have Covington at Slidell. Covington comes into the game at five and two. Slidell comes in at six and one. Both teams in a big district matchup could determine the championship. Slidell hasn't lost a game since a week one loss to Jesuit. Looking to improve Covington, trying to rebound after a tough loss last week. I think Coach Scott was an excellent, excellent defensive coach. Coach Salter is very good at Covington also. Uh, if, if you had to pick a team right here, you would have to go to the defensive side. That's, that's Slidell played a little bit better defense lately. But uh, you never can tell. I really think that's going to be, you know, that's always been a competitive game and one of those games that you look forward to on the North Shore uh, every year. And, and um, you know, I, 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 just look for, I, I just look for a close contest in this one. No matter what happens, I think Slidell's power ranking is, is uh, something like two or three in the state, and Covington is ranked very, very high. So I don't, I don't see where this, is, this ball game will be a blowout at all. And that'll do it for our prep talk. Let's go ahead and look at some of our local colleges, in particular the two that we've been kind of talking about. We'll start out with LSU taking on Florida, a 45-35 to 35 win. Special teams, Coach. I, I don't know how many times we've had to say it. We're rough uh, once again for LSU. But despite that, they find a way to overcome an early kickoff and an early uh, punch in the mouth from Florida. Their offense woke up. Finally, we're see, we saw Jaden Daniels take those shots downfield and was able to even open up and utilize the way that he's able to run the football. I love the way Coach Denbrock put in some zone reads, gave some read options to him, allowing him to be athletic on the perimeter. First LSU quarterback to pass for three touchdowns and run for three touchdowns in the same game. But an overall impressive performance for LSU. But they, they still have to stay awake and alert. They have a big game coming up this this week. I think I don't know how good Florida is. I mean, Florida's secondary really looks a little porous. But you know what's interesting on those deep balls? This, when it, when that ball leaves the quarterback's hand, they all 50-50 balls. It's just a matter of that guy going to get it, you know. And uh, that, that those receivers are the, they have to make that quarterback look good. He puts the ball there, and it starts with the O line. I mean, they have to have a clean pocket, and they, you know he has to be able to step up in the pocket when and get into what they call the cup. And they were able to do that. But, you know, Daniels give him a lot of credit. In two steps, when he decides to run, he's full speed. He's really fun to, to run. He's an excellent runner. He's very explosive. And he's a playmaker. And I think uh, uh, give him a lot of credit And uh, because I really still think that the receiving core are, are some average dudes. And I think their running backs are some average dudes. And, but the, I give Coach Kelly, he's, you know, he says, stay with the process. And that's his big thing. And uh, I still think his, his uh, roster is not what he needs to be. But uh, to get them to play at that level coming off that uh, performance against Tennessee, and, as you, and you just hit it on the, the nose, there's no reason why they should be that poor special team and make the mistakes that they make on special teams. So uh, if they can correct that and, and bring that defense, um, who, who knows, they might, they might win a couple more, even though they're going to the, the toughest part of their schedule. And I don't think anybody would deny what you're saying. I think Florida's definitely a step down from what we've seen years in the past. It's a bigger name brand than – football team at the moment but winning 
in Jordan Hare and in the Swamp has never been done before. Brian Kelly was able to accomplish that. It's an impressive feat. But they have Ole Miss coming in this week, top 10 ball club. Some people believe Ole Miss might be a bit of a smokescreen. Uh, they've trailed in some games that they probably shouldn't have, haven't truly been battle-tested the way LSU has. This game could go either way. We'll see either Ole Miss rise to the occasion and prove that they are validated with that top 10 rating, or we're going to see the reason that they're ranked top 10 is because other teams have lost their games, and Ole Miss has just kind of found the way moving up. Well, it's funny, funny that just here you, LSU's playing at home. Ole Miss is undefeated, and LSU's favorite. I say, you know, that's a, that seems like an oxymoron. I don't think that Ole Miss's defense is that good. Uh, if LSU plays well on offense, I don't know. But I do think that, that Ole Miss's offense is very innovative. Um, they, they, their head coach is a guy, innovative offensive guy. He calls his own plays, and he's been like that for years. You know, he's, he's offense coordinator at Alabama, and he's, he's, had, you know, he's had his ups and downs also as, as a head coach. But um, I don't know if LSU plays physical. I think the key in this ballgame is, LSU needs to hit them in the mouth. They need to play physical with Ole Miss because I think Ole Miss is still an offense that is really, really finesse. And those finesse offenses don't last against a very, very physical defense. Interesting matchup. 2.30 kickoff on CBS Saturday. Should be an exciting one. Coach Tulane is ranked for the first time since their undefeated season, since 1998 after a win over South Florida 45-31. And it's it's earned. It's warranted. And, again, Coach Fritz took his time to come on the podcast with us. Just since that loss, since they took that loss, have really just continued an upward trajectory. And it's incredible where they are at this point in the season. Uh, we, we, you know, personally, I'm so happy for him because, as I said before, he might be one of the most organized coaches I've seen. He loves the game. And uh, I think he's got the two lanes faithful. Um, believing now, you know, he he went on the road, won some some tough ball games when he when he beat Houston at first all star at Kansas State, then the Houston game, especially with his third team quarterback. Now he's got the two lane uh, faithful believing again, and I hope that he get the crowd that he, that he expect to see. They deserve to feel that thirty thousand seat stadium against Memphis, and uh, you know that really is going to mean a lot and give those kids some adrenaline because there's nothing like emotion and playing at home. So. If, if they can, if they can get this one, they, they go back on the on the road and and who knows? I mean, uh, uh, they they had some tough with like they're like LSU, the tough part of their schedule is in front of them. But uh, there's no reason right now when they look at it that they can't be an eight or nine win team. Memphis is not going to be an easy win, as you mentioned. It's going to be at home, but still, that's a, a quality ball club. They're always one of the teams to beat in the AAC conference. Hopefully we'll see Tulane come out with that win at 2.30 on Saturday, but it'll be tough. It's not going to be an easy win. By any means. You know, on a side note, Jason, I can remember when I was coaching there, one of the games we should have won in the Superdome, and I can remember uh, back in those days, we had split crews. We had a split crew, and uh, we were winning the ball game, and all of a sudden we thought we, we celebrated after a tackle. We thought the game was over. Everybody was high-fiving the whole deal, and all of a sudden here comes a late flag by some erroneous official. And and a play later, they're in the end zone, and actually the back bounced in the end zone and gave them a touchdown. I remember that like it was yesterday. And basically, that game that game actually cost us a bowl game that year. So I so I'm not going to be pulling for Memphis. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it any other way. Mm-hmm. Coach, the Saints dropped another game this week. It was the Cincinnati at home. It, it seems like LSU and the Saints have this weird relationship where if one wins, the other can't win. 
Uh, they, they're not syncing up on their schedule. But the way that the Saints lost this week is just – it's tough to watch. Yeah, yeah. Jason, I read an article today that it's kind of like they put a little, the blame a little bit on Dalton. I said, wait a minute now. How could they say that when they got these guys that are not lining up? I mean, uh, Michael Thomas can't line up. I mean, uh, Jarvis Landy can't line up. And so he's playing with receivers that are actually just – they pulled him off the practice squad. I mean, that's not the same thing. I mean, so they're asking Dalton to win with the, with guys that are actually third teamers or so. And uh, that's not the Olaf Olavi or whatever his name is. He didn't play. And um, he's playing with other receivers. Kirkwood just got on the team. And and uh, so I, I don't think it's fair to to say that he's the guy. You know, everything is actually put on his back for this. Plus, he doesn't play defense either, you know, and, and uh, he doesn't punt. I mean, the punter the other day when they needed a decent punt gets a 20-yard punt. I mean, that guy's getting paid big bucks to at least punt the ball 40 yards. He's very capable of doing that. But when the time came, he didn't get that big punt. So there's a lot of blame to go around. It's, it's not, and I thought Dalton certainly is, is, is a backup quarterback, has, has done well. But, you know, a lot of those sacks were not his fault either. As, as a, every quarterback will tell you, he has to have to make one step. A quarterback has to be able to take at least one step sideways or forward before he can deliver the ball. So if that pocket's not clean, it's not fair to put the blame of him that, they, that he lost the ball game. It's almost like a grocery list of injuries that the Saints have been riddled with. It's hard to win in the NFL. Every game is a tight game. It's much harder to win when you have all your playmakers constantly dinged up out, your your big linemen out not playing. And that's been a major issue for the Saints as well. Definitely not the only factor by any means. Uh, I, I don't think that's helping their case right now, but they've got to find a way to get back on track. The sad thing is, Coach, they're still in the running for the division. They're one game out. So it's not like they're so far back that they can't make a push, but you can't continue to lose, and it starts Thursday. You have to win that game Thursday and, and try to turn things around against Arizona. I, I agree. I agree. And also, you know, I mean, again, I go back to the Dalton situation. Is, is they said that Jameis Winston, if he's been in the ball game, did it won? I don't think that either. I think it had this, the same outcome. All right, and that'll do it for our first segment. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and have – head coach from Newman High School, Coach Nelson Stewart. And later on, we'll have our Let's Be Frank segment where coaches in the talk salaries in professional sports. And this Thanks for the Memory segment, we're going to talk about the 1999 St. Charles Catholic football season. And in Football 101, we're going to talk about developing game plans and call sheets. But before we do that, we want to go ahead and thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Ricardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Ricardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigations, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate title and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Licardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. 
Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreau and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Tonight, our special guest lettered four years at Newman and served as captain, played offensive line at Tulane, including being a part of the Tulane's 1998 undefeated team, has been at Newman for the past 24 years, 12 of which he has been the head coach. We want to welcome on our special guest, head coach for Newman High School, Nelson Stewart. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, what's the experience been like to be able to be the head coach of the program that you played at in high school? Well, you know, first, thank y'all so much for having me. Uh, Frank Monica is, is is a legend and my hero. So anytime I can get on, you can see I'm in a dark uh, car. Uh, that, that's no, just like I wrote uh, it. Just like I wrote I, it. Yes. Well, I tell you, um, it, it's been surreal. Um, certainly, it was never anything that, you know, I, I envisioned. I, I got into football. Uh, really just, you know, I loved it. And believe it or not, I give so much credit to Coach Monica, who recruited me as a walk-on uh, offensive lineman in 1995. I, I love the sport. And, um, you know, he, he gave me that opportunity to graduate from Tulane. And, you know, coming back, I think I really just want to be a good O-line coach and work hard. But, you know, once Katrina happened, um, I'd only been there a few years, they promoted me and um you know at 16 years as head coach and i just try to get back it really is about the kids and the school and it's a, it's a great institution and um you know it's been really rewarding so it's sure gone by fast i can tell you I remember you know my first day walking through the door but 
Um, it's been great. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, it's your alma mater. It's extra special, but um, it's been a wonderful experience. And again, just a great institution. And to be able to compete against guys like Coach Monica Hall of Famers, while, while it, it is been a big part of my loss record and my win losses uh oh, yeah. i've gotten better from it and uh, Coach, uh it's been a great I, experience on, on the you know Tavis, first of all you you played for go to uh, coach reginelli at uh at yeah. Newman, and then you played for coach jen ducey uh, and uh, as an offensive lineman yourself and also uh, people don't really know that you blocked for peyton manning also at newman yeah, no, I, um, you know, I think first in the first part of the question, you know, Tony Reginelli, you know, he's an institution. He is Newman football. Um, really, I think, you know, my model of, you know, what to do is kind of hopefully the way he did. He was always about doing the right thing. Um, you know, he really focused on us being student athletes. And I was on his last team, you know, Peyton's senior year um, was, was he in the last team he was a part of. He had won 200 games and, you know, is it at a point in his career, much like, I guess, you know, even when you were aware, he was able to hand it to Frank to do so. And I just remember him as an old school, you know, defensive minded coach that um, really, I think, uh, you know, expanded. He ran the veer. We got Peyton. He went to the spread offense, you know, got coach to do so calling great plays. He actually went to Florida State to learn. And it was really just, you know, watching him grow, you know, with where he uh, was and, um, I think he had arguably his most success at the end, and it was he was great there. And you know, I think that you know, as you said, playing with Peyton um, was unlike anything else. You know, Newman up till '91 in the '80s, really a basketball themed school. Billy Fitzgerald, so many great programs, and he put us on the map. You know, he he really took care of his linemen. He gave them isotoner gloves, and uh, he he took them to dinner. He's you know started. You know, team dinner nights, team meal nights, and he uh, he just was one of those guys. I think that you know was mature beyond his years, and you know he really helped mold you know uh, how to be a leader and what to do. And, um, you know, I think really put us on a trajectory to where we are today. Coach, let me let me. First of all, I need to see your pretty face. You know what I mean? I hope you keep uh, your eyes on the road while you're driving here. I, I, Coach, yes, yeah. sir. Let me, let me talk about your team for a second. I mean, you know, you sure. you played a great schedule, and I think that's a that's a great thing because you know the, the district, other than you guys in, in St. Charles, seem to be the, the front runners in that district. And you got a tough game against Country Day because that's a big rival for you lately. Has, hasn't it been that way? Yeah, no, I think that you know, and you know, with our schedule, coach, I think it was something that um, I put a lot of thought behind. Um, you know, we, we, we felt like we needed to play people this year. You know, as, as you once told me, um, you, you don't get better by just taking, you know, batting practice. You know, you really have to take live, you know, take live fastballs. And, you know, we tried to do it. I think it's benefited us uh, tremendously. Um, I really like uh, where we are. You know, at this point, we lost a great player in Will Randall, but, you know, able to beat a really good, you know, De La Salle team early. Um, you know, defeating 5A Honville, a game, and a lot of people didn't give us credit. You know, big rivalry win over Riverside Academy. Um, and there, you know, they obviously have, uh, that's their only defeat. And a shootout against Benton, who's scoring 60 points a game. And, you know, we came close against, you know, Manny. Uh, you know, even with Will Randall out, we were drive short. And, you know, to be 5-1, and one, you know, at this point, you know, going into uh, week eight, you know, obviously we're excited. 
Um, you know, I think that, you know, I think our, arguably our toughest game was our last game against Bell Chase. You know, they have such a phenomenal running back. We had to, you know, win it in the end, you know, just with a stop and a big throw by Arch. And, you know, I love our defense. I think it's kind of uh, everybody wants to talk about the quarterback for good reason. Defense has been great. I think the O-line play has been good. And, you know, Arch has been fantastic. He's almost 1,400 yards passing. He's thrown for 20, no interceptions, um, and and we've been careful of the football. We've won the turnover battle, and we've been good in all three phases. We're not great, but, he, you know, or, or as great. You're not great, Coach, game. but you're, you're president number one in the power yeah. rating. And, yeah, and I know yeah, that the, I know you had to kind of peek that out just a little bit. I know everybody talks about going 1-0, and oh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, the power yeah. rank is important because that, that bracket's important also. What's your – What's your thoughts about that playoff format, folks, that the LHSA just uh, decided to go to? You know, Coach, I love it. I think one of the things that I think is, as coaches, you got to want to compete. You know, um, uh, it, it, when you when you when you just start in the quarterfinals, it doesn't seem the way, in my opinion, that it should be. I think that, um, you know, for us. Uh, expanding to 24. Now we can get, you know, by district, regionals, you know, quarterfinals, semis, and according to the second week of December. I think that's the way it should be. And, you know, you get tired, coaches, you know, playing the same teams, you know. Uh, it, 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 you know, playoffs are great, but, you know, how many times you play Dunham, Catholic, no idea, per se. I'm excited for new competition. And, uh, I think that um, it's going to be very competitive. Um, you're going to really have to – it's not just a draw. You have to be playing well in all three phases. Now, you know, the quarters are going to be some dynamite matchups that won that way. So, you know, I'm – Coach, I'm really excited. And, you know, maybe, you know, like you look at our close game against Manny and, and then all of a sudden this format, maybe this is another way for us to get back together because, you know, I'll sure never stop, you know, trying to, to make that happen. And um, I'm excited. We're excited to compete and, you know, every game and the competition. So I think it's a great thing. I think what you've done, Coach, with your schedule has been phenomenal in terms of, you know, you. You, you loaded it up because a lot of people don't have real tough districts. And, and a lot of people now, because of your, 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 your reputation and what you've done at Newman, I mean, you've, you've gotten that program on a map and everybody respects you and they talk about Newman. It's, it's, you get a lot of publicity about it. And it's more than just, just Arch Manny playing quarterback. It's, it's Newman itself. You've been a contender every year. And uh, I know a lot of people including myself, we're looking forward to the game at SEC at your place. And uh, because, you know, like everybody says, we got two more prior to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think everybody's looking forward to that big matchup. No, I think, well, I appreciate the kind words, Coach. And, but I agree. You, you do have to be, you have to, you know, be a program. And I think, you know, we, you know, even from how we organize practice and our meetings, you know, we really are, are team-centric. We don't focus on the individual. Um, it's a huge matchup, uh, week 10. Uh, you know, we can't look ahead. And I know it's natural for everyone to be excited about, you know, that game against St. Charles Catholic. But we got to get there. Both of us have, you know, some players hurt. Um, so we got to get healthy. And uh, Country Day, you know, Coach Chet has done an outstanding job. Um you know, in terms of, you know, he's a line guy. Um, they run inside, outside zone so well. Um, Troy Baglio stepping in as their defensive coordinator. You know, they're great with their hands. They run all those twist stunts. So, it'll uh, be a great matchup. And hopefully we can both come out of it healthy with a good power ranking and, you know, a good gauge of, of where we are. So, I know it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand, Coach, how there will be eight buys in, in that bracket. And uh, yeah. you're hoping, I'm sure, that they'll end up with one of those. And uh, But, you know, teams out there, it looks like Dunham's going to be a pretty good football team. 
Uh, you know, you, you got the you got U high that's way back there that could be a sleeper right now. That their power rank is not very good because they played good people. But you, I mean, you're gonna have as, as good a shot as anybody, especially if you get there healthy. And I know that the Randall kid was just a phenomenal player for you. He was going playing offense and defense, and uh, that could be a big loss. But uh, a lot of people have those same type of injuries, and they have to just go on. So you do. I, yeah, I, I, I know that. I know you're going to have them have them ready. And um, coach, tell us a little bit about your family. Oh no! Thank you for asking. Well, I'm actually as I, you know, go through to tell you a lot about my family. I'm driving to a purple belt ceremony for my oldest. So they're always very active. Um, you know, uh, the. The strength of any coaches is always their uh, wife. So I've been incredibly blessed to be married to, you know, my wife, Emily, who you met for, you know, over 20 years. Ironically, I met her um, my first year at Newman. Her son was, uh, or excuse me, her brother was my least favorite defensive lineman. And uh, I, I never would have thought I'd married a sister, but I met one night. So she's been great. Um, my uh, oldest, Taylor, uh, is uh, 15 years old. She's a freshman at St. Therese Academy. And then my uh, twins, Caroline and uh, John Nelson, the ice called John, are both in fifth grade at St. George's. So, um, you know, we're a great unit. I, I, I don't have many hobbies. I kind of, uh, it's, it's football and family. That's all I really got time for. But, uh, you know, she, she makes the engine go, that, that much I know. But uh, I'm oh, they're great. Fortunate. And you attended uh, all the ceremonies that I had, Coach. I appreciate that. Do you have that big old truck? You still have that big truck? You know what? Believe it or not, she made me sell it. It came to the point where <laughs> she needed a new car, and she basically looked at me and said, you know, if you, if, if you don't have down payment, uh, I see something in the driveway that could go toward it. So I had to let that go. But at 45, you know, I don't think I'm going to be off-roading very much in uptown New Orleans. So it was no. uh, part of my maturation progress. <laughs> it just doesn't go that big. Four by four doesn't go on St. Charles Avenue for some reason. Coach. That, that, no, it was like, cool when I was 28. Though. I thought I was pretty special with a, you know, 2,500 <laughs> on 35-inch tires. But Coach, uh, last but not least, you know, you've sure. always come to our seven on sevens, and and uh, you were very very special, and drove all the way from from your school every day to come out to Laplace and play seven on seven in the summer times on Wednesday mornings. And you and I worked at Manning Camp for for many many years, and you know, we drank a lot of cheap wine together. Why, Jake? Cheap wine. You drank that expensive. <laughs> he likes cigar. He likes cigars. You know I mean? Come on. And you tried to smoke my cigar, but I wouldn't let you. Ah, uh, uh, see, you know what? I, I, I make me sick, but you're. Coach, there's a reason we call the Godfather. You're you're the legend of the camp. So, uh, well, I got I got to thank you so much for being with this coach. You know, I got to say that you look better in the dark. You know what I mean? The, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that. No, I, I look. I, I will say, and not to embarrass you, but um, I, I think you're without question the finest uh, head coach, coach I've ever gone against in my career. Um, just just the job you did, you know, throughout. I feel like you did things the right way. You you never want credit. Um, but I will tell you the fact that um, how you handled, um, you know, handing your program off and arguably with his best state to Coach Stein, going to a state championship, um, you, you know, the fact you did that, um, more coaches should look at that because, you know, your your legacy and how you're viewed while you laugh all the time, you're, you're a true Hall of Famer. And as I looked in, uh, at the coaches on the way out after a graded film and I said, I'm going on the Godfather's podcast. They said, "Good luck. You got to go right now." So you're you are universally yeah. respected and beloved for good reason. And hopefully, well, I uh, uh, you know, I, I don't miss 
uh, going across the field from you. Because like we always say, for 360, you know, four days of the year, you're the nicest guy in the world. But I know how it is on Friday nights. I, I can now <laughs> smile at you at the 50. Well, so. well, my wife says that about the other 364 days, you know. So. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> Just like when you call, I say, we're coaching the same guys. We're the same team. When I was young, it made sense. And 50 to nothing later, I learned my lesson. You're the best no, coach. You got me. No, you've done a phenomenal job. You've got to, uh, and I think that people need to appreciate what you've done there, Newman, because you're not blessed with a, with a wealth of uh, athletic ability. And um, you're just blessed with hard-nosed kids that play hard and, and they're very smart. And they take your leadership. Coach, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I really appreciate it. And uh, please stay in touch with us, and, and good luck on Friday. Oh, no problem, Coach. You're the legend. You're the man. Anytime. Thank you so much, Nelson. Uh, thank you, Coach. All right, guys. Thank you all. You got it. We'd like to thank Coach Nelson Stewart for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us. And we'd also like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Stay tuned as we dive into our Let's Be Frank segment where we talk salaries and sports, MLB playoffs, and football 101. We have developing game plans and call sheets. And he's going to talk about the 1999 St. Charles football season. So stay tuned. You're watching the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family-owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King of the Plus, thanks to the community for 29 years. 
through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Riverlands Insurance, for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to serving the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. All right, now we're going to go into the Let's Be Frank segment where Coach is going to discuss salaries in professional sports. So, Coach, what are your thoughts and feelings on the way salaries are structured and built in sal- in the professional level? Well, well, guys, first of all, let's go into what we call guaranteed contracts. Uh, I think I can understand maybe in football, uh, still not really in favor of guaranteed contracts. I think that these would be more incentive-based uh, contracts. What I mean by that, uh, for instance, I'll use an example. Golf, for instance, if you don't win, you don't get paid, you know, and it, uh, except for what the sponsor is going to give you. So what I'd like to see across the board is like, for instance, have, a, have everything incentive-based. In other words, um, in baseball, you get guys that hit 230 and they're making $10 million a year. I don't get that. Uh, in basketball, there are guys that are not showing up. Even if you get to the point where you pay a player for a practice, I pay him for practice, pay him for every game he has. You know, they had, at one time we started this league called the XFL, and I thought it, the guys will, the, the winner would get 5000 a game, the, the loser would get 2500 and those guys were playing their butts off. And I think that's incentive-based. So they will play for a, for a paycheck. Uh, but when you get these guaranteed contracts and these fat cats, uh, the Saints have a couple guys, now they can't even get on the field. Those guys are making millions of dollars, and they can't get them on the field. Uh, Sparky Anderson had once said at one time, he was, used to be the manager of the Detroit Tigers, he said, give me 25 guys that had last year their contract, and I'll give you a pennant winner every year. And there's a lot to be said for that. So for instance, you know, my idea would be, okay, let's just take it and everybody's going to have their salary schedule out. Uh, but something like this for an offensive lineman, everybody, every offensive lineman gets maybe 500,000 a year. Uh, every game you win, you, you get a hundred thousand. Uh, if you win a playoff a game, you get another 500,000, just fill that contract up with incentives. And you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of guys. You're going to see a lot of guys actually play harder and play better and make sure that pay them for every game that they, that they make. If they, if they play the entire schedule, give them a huge, huge bonus at the end of the year because they're not doing that. I mean, we have basketball players that they sit out a whole year, and you've seen that, in, in, you've seen that especially in football now, and uh, they're hiding behind uh, a, a big contract, and, and they become they, – they, they lose their stinger. I had an old coach used to say, you know, once a player loses his stinger, he's not, he's not a competitive guy anymore. So I just think something along those lines where, you, where, where people – let's get incentive-based and on the, pay those guys on what, they, what they've accomplished. And not something that's just like that, what they've done in the past, but what they do each year as a baseball player. And I'm saying 
across the board, every shortstop gets the same amount, but you fill his contract up with incentives. How many home runs and stolen bases, errors and things of that nature. And every, every outfielder, you do the same thing for him positionally every basketball player but i do think you pay them for every practice that they make you you pay them for every game that they play in not just win but play in because i i really think it's getting out of hand and a lot of these guys are they're just not showing up and all of a sudden you you can't tell me a guy's out for so many weeks with a toe yeah and and and, and an ankle and uh, and and uh, some type of protocol where others want to play but uh, so if you do that, you're going to find some hungrier guys. And right now, I don't think that the, in a professional level, they're hungry. And one other note, I think that when a guy is taken out of college, when he's drafted out of college after his first, second, uh, third year, they should reimburse that university, whether NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, re- reimburse that university for that schedule, for that scholarship. I think they owe that university that recruited that guy. They fed him. They trained him for those number of years. And, uh, you know, I think they, they owe that university that scholarship back. So that's my let's be frank segment. All right, Coach, you also want to discuss some Major League Baseball playoffs. Uh, we're down to the thick of it, Coach. We've got our two uh, matchups set for the semifinals. You have the Yankees taking on the Astros, and you have the Phillies taking on the Padres. What are your thoughts on those matchups? Well, it, it, first of all, the Dodgers really upset by San Diego. And, and I mean, they should be really kicking themselves in the butt because they won over 100 ball games. And uh, I also feel as though that going back this, I don't think that's fair. I really don't fair, think that's fair because here you got a team like the Phillies, you got a team that loses by 22 games and all of a sudden they, they get hot at the end of the year. And now, now all of a sudden they, they win and uh, they're playing the Braves. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry, they, they upset the Braves and the Braves were the defending world champion, the whole deal. But now you got the, a pretty good matchup there. So I'm glad that the San Diego, the Phillies, I mean, it's new excitement. But is it fair for a team uh, like that? That new format in baseball, maybe it works in other things. But you play 162 games a year. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, the San Diego and the Phillies, the Phillies have a, a nice lineup. San Diego has better pitching. Um, you go back and look at Houston. And uh, the Houston and the Yankees, Houston definitely has the pitching and the big edge there. Uh, and, and they got a nice lineup. And I mean, that's, they, they, did, they won a game the other night, 18 innings on, on a home run, you know, after, after 18 innings. So Houston have the pitching. They had a little scoring team um, and they had to come from behind, the, you know, to beat Seattle. But um, I think the bottom line is that uh, look for Houston to be there uh, as the American League, uh, I think, pennant winner. And I, I look at really right now, you have to give Phillies the edge because they're hot and they have an awesome lineup as long as Harper can stay in there. Coach, one thing that I've noticed over – I've really paid attention to is basketball's had seven games throughout the entire playoff stretch. and baseball, you've had one game. You've got three games. You've got five-game series. And to me, that's just completely backwards. Baseball is built, as you mentioned, you have – 162 games you got this massive schedule and before this year or in years past it's come down to one game for some teams you've got three games for a first round five games for a second round when the whole purpose of having seven game series is built around rotation different lineups different matchups so for me i just don't understand why the playoffs they decide well we know that the season's been this stretched out long let's let's shorten it and tighten it up for this part in the season because it seems to me like if any sport should have seven games throughout the entire playoffs, it should be baseball. Yeah. And the other thing is, is the 
timing right now. They're about ready to go into November. And uh, the final game will be played in November. And the Yankees had several games postponed because of weather. One thing you have to consider, JC, is look at the teams that are in it. San Diego, the Phillies, uh, Houston, and New York. Well, none of those have dome stadiums except Houston. So, I mean, if you go to Philadelphia or New York, you could run into maybe a snow day or something like that. So we'll wait and see how that, how that shakes down. Coach, you warned about that as well. If you recall, we talked about that on – it was either – it might have been the pilot show with um, with Eric, but I know we talked about that early on about yes. how that could potentially happen. So you you called that hit you hit that on the nose earlier on in the show. Um, let's go ahead and look at our football one hundred and one segment where Coach is going to break down developing game plans and call sheets. So, Coach, what what goes into developing a game plan and creating a call sheet? You know, Jason, I've, I've been asked by this for many, many coaches exactly how do you set up your game plan. And, and there, there are a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of ways to go to Chicago, but this is what, what I've done and what I've learned over the years. Uh, first of all, uh, a lot of people call it a flip card. And you might see coaches on the sideline with this card over their mouth and stuff like that. And you have things that highlight it. Some of them are color-coded and the whole deal. Some of them are real decorative and they laminated cards in case they get rain. Um, but on one side of the card, is a general menu of all your plays. It has all the runs, the passes, the screens. Uh, it has all those things on, 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 on one sheet that you can have with formations, with the formation that best called for it, something like that. But on the other side, uh, your real call sheet is on the other side. For instance, I always scripted my first 10 plays of every ball game. So I had one through 10. And sometimes to a fault, sometimes to the the down and distance didn't didn't match it, but there's something that you wanted to see. The reason why you did it, you ran it one. My my motivation was to try to get at least one first down when the game started. I wanted my offense to get at least one first down and to kind of get in the flow and to get in the rhythm. The two is I wanted to show different formations to see how they adjusted. In the secondary, how, they, how the, the front was, be, was going to be played, who was going to play that front. So you kind of get understanding the personnel swapping and who to go to. So I always scripted the first 10 plays. But then after that, I had a segment. And one of the segments were, okay, every coach really drills hard on the third and medium. Now, what's third and medium? Third and medium yards. I would My third and medium was four to seven yards. So anytime I did a third and medium play, I would list 10, 12 plays in that segment and try to use those, and we practice those. And during practice, I had a third and medium uh, a segment in practice that you actually practice those throws on the certain hash. So you scripted that play, left hash, middle, or right hash. Then you had another segment called, called the third and short. Now that's just the third and one or two. So third and one or two, um, you know, short yardage play where you're going to bring the heavy people in or whatever you're going to do. Then the, the other segment that I like the, the alumni to call was third and long. You know, the third and 10 plus, that's always a, a segment that's hard. It's hard to find plays that, that really match that segment, especially in high school. And so that was one. And then I dropped down. There's another section, what I called the red zone. Okay, I had red zone runs. Oh, listen, now what's the red zone? From the 20-yard end, 20-yard line in, or maybe the 25-yard line in, depending on what you thought was the red zone. And then I had a third uh, red zone passes. And I always had a, a segment in there for what I called a gadget. So I always listed and went in every ball game with one or two gadget plays and that you might that you might need or, or show. I also had a, a segment there called off schedule plays. You say, what's off schedule? Well, if you have a penalty, if you have a penalty and you're back and you, it's first down in 20, 
or if it's first and or second and second and, and 15 or something like that had off schedule plays to put in that category. And I, so that, that was always important because you, you'd go to that off schedule category quite often. So I would script about 10 plays there. And then after that, I had a, I had a deep shot uh, segment. In other words, I would sometime during the game, I said, I want to take a, a deep shot in each quarter. Uh, deep shot in the first quarter, deep shot in the second quarter. What would be my best chance of getting something deep? If, if maybe I didn't have the receiver to do that, but I, that way maybe I would put a gadget in place of that. And then the last set, which I would have, what do I call goal line runs, goal line passes, and then all your two-point plays. And all those things are practiced. On Tuesday for me, every Tuesday we practice goal line. And that on Tuesday, you practice, you brought in a certain personnel to practice your goal line runs, then your goal line passes. And also, I was backed up and, and, and had a, a shot or two from the eight-yard line, from the plus eight-yard line. But you always filled your game plan with a bunch of two-point plays. But basically, that's, that's what they call a flip card. So one side with all your plays, the other side with that, actually is your situational plays that you would call. And do they always work? Heck no. But you, if they don't work, put it this way, um, I used to tell the players, anything I call on this playlist should work. If you play hard, everything on this call list should work or else it wouldn't be the game plan. So, But basically, that's what a lot of people do. It's very, very similar to this, and that's those cards that you see the coaches holding up against their mouth. I think I speak for all former players when I ask this question. How many of those gadget plays left were left unused on your call sheet? Because I would see plays run in practice that I would never see in the game, but I would see every week in practice. And also, it seems like the last few years, coach, when you were um, when you were coaching at St. Charles, I'd be calling games. And I'd go, I, I would never see coach run this when I was playing, and he's running throwback passes to the quarterback at the fifty yard line, and like what. What was the change? What 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 caused that change in philosophy? Well, you, you know, you, you used them when you you kind of held them. It's kind of your trump card. You know, you you just didn't want to show your hand, and uh, sometimes you stumble on one. You just didn't want to show all your your trick plays all at once. And there are a lot of them out there. But for every one that you see succeed, Jason, remember there are ten that don't. Uh, it's like it's like a reverse. And you know, I go back and analyze all my plays over the years. We had a reverse that I got a long, long time ago, and it's a block play. It looks like a gadget, but it's a well-blocked play. And you know what? I can't ever remember that play failing. I used to tell the coaches, "Why don't I not run that more?" I mean, because it always had success. And uh, but it but it was it blocked. It wasn't just I wasn't just dependent on somebody going brain dead. Uh, we blocked every player that we could possibly block. All right, Coach, um, let's go ahead and go to our Blitz the Ball Coach segment where someone gets a chance to ask you a hard-hitting question, and this is a good one, Coach. So what is the biggest change in football that has impacted you um, in the way that you have to coach? Well, it's a, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, uh, who, who's, who wrote that? Who sent that in, Jason? Uh, I think that was my dad that, uh, that asked. He's, he's the welder. I remember Mark doing a great job for me, helped me build the Cometplex uh, at one time. But, Mark, that's a great question, and uh, and I'm, I'm surprised Stephen didn't give me a question. But anyway, uh, <laughs> let me just say this. Number one, uh, the, the biggest thing I, that's changed in football it is instant replay. I think instant replay has really affected football. It's helped the game tremendously. 
And I'm, I've been crying for them to put that in for high school, which they can very easily do. There's so many things that you see that are happening. Every time I watch a game, I say it's so obvious that things that that not right. Well, in, in college and the pros, even if it's not totally right, I watched the Iowa State coach go berserk because he thought he had a call. But, I mean, it was close. And I couldn't stand it. At least you can live with it. So instant replay is a big thing that's changed. I think that some of the rules, like – um, alignment being downfield on a screen pass. That's big, Jason. I mean, you couldn't do that at one time. But now alignment, if as long as the ball's behind the line of scrimmage, the alignment could be downfield and blocking. The same thing as the RPO, the alignment of downfield, actually, if the if the uh, umpire, uh, the umpire, that he's the guy that stands behind the, the offensive line. Now in the pros, they're standing behind the the, uh, the the quarterback. But if the umpire can see where that that guard was down the field blocking the linebacker on the RPO, uh, that's changed the game. Spread offenses have really changed the game. Spread offense, you know, way back when we had the Veer offense, you had the wing T offense, you had the uh, triple option offense, which some people still run, the I formation. Then the spread came in, and the spread made people change defenses. So defense had to play faster because they were putting fast guys out there, um, and they're taking now quarterbacks that are a lot more athletic. You don't see these big sluggos playing quarterbacks anymore. You see a lot of fast guys that can run and throw. And, again, look at LSU's quarterback, uh, what he brings to the table. So that's what some of the things that you've seen change in the game. And and, and lastly, and these, there are a lot of other changes, um, but lastly, um, it, what's happened medically uh, in terms of a concussion protocol, uh, you know, that – um, they, they have tents on the sideline with the observation tents. You know, the guy goes in there and, and uh, uh, the soft tissue injury. I mean, all those things have really, really changed the sport a lot. And, uh, you know, because it is not – it's a very physical game. We all, all understand that. But um, I, I don't know where it's headed, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of sensitivity about quarterbacks in the pocket now and uh, things of that nature about hands off. I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, 10 years from now, it's flag football. All right, coach. So we're going to go ahead and look at the thanks for the memory segment where you wanted to focus on the 1999 St. Charles Catholic football season. Coach, or what are your memories on that season? Well, Jason, why, the reason they're special um, I took the job in May. The coach prior to that, he left in May, went to another school, and I took the, the job at, at St. Charles Catholic, and we had seven practices, and, and uh, Coach Lou Valden from Hornville called me. They were a powerhouse back then. He said, he said, uh, Coach, you, you want to play the spring game? I said, no, I'm not, Coach, I'm not even ready. I just got here. I don't even know these guys. I don't have many players. And, um, you know, and uh, we had just gone to AAA. First time St. Charles Catholic was in AAA. Proud of that, you know, they were playing, they were playing the, uh, people like Ridgewood. They were playing St. Martin's and those, those slouch. But uh, Fisher High School, they were playing those people. And, and that's the district they were in. But then all of a sudden going to AAA and we have to play Parkview Baptist. We had to play against Lutcher. We had to play against uh, St. James. I mean, um, the schedule was just, was just loaded with, with, with tough people. And, um, and that's one of the reasons that I said, I don't know if I want to play, but I said, we better play somebody tough. So we scheduled them and they kicked us pretty good in the spring. Uh, but it, that team went two and eight, Jason. And, and they're very special to me because they stuck it out. And not everybody on that team. I ended up, I think, with eight seniors and 
Uh, and I don't mind naming them. I've got to remember you know, Ricky Amade, Adam Grove, Nicholas Monica, Toby Jacob, John Mitchell, Matt Fees, Matt Cox, uh, you know, Dustin Bro, Chris, Chris Morton, uh, James Cupid. They stuck it out. They stuck it out. And we actually, game nine, we, we beat a team that was going to the semifinals in, in the in the, um, uh, Christian Life Academy. And uh, those guys, uh, you know, they had heart and they were good athletes. We just didn't have enough horses. We really didn't. And uh, we did see that sophomore class coming. We had a sophomore class coming that we thought had better numbers and, and they had some athletes in it. And um, but uh, it's a credit to those guys for sticking it out in that a two and eight season. And uh, they, they stuck with the program and, and they, didn't, they didn't get a chance to reap all the benefits of what was later to come. But uh, those guys are very, very special to me. Thank you, Coach, for that. And let's move on to our Lock of the Week segment where we'll try to get our picks right. Uh, we've, we've struggled so far this year at times. Coach, who are you liking this week? Well, I, I'm going to Wake Forest again. They covered for me last time. I think they're an excellent football team. I think they got a great quarterback. So I'm going again with Wake Forest again, and they're definitely a 25-point favorite. All right, I'm going to go with – Penn State, four and a half over Minnesota. Coach, I'm taking a break from my, my lower-level teams. Um, I think Penn State got wild pretty good against Michigan. I think they're a pretty good ball club. I'm not really sold on Minnesota. So, four and a half, Penn State is the way I'm going to head with that one. Um, and that'll do it for our show. So, Coach, any final thoughts before we read off the socials? No, Jason, I, I just think that there are not many great matchups outside the Catholic League this week and. the uh, but uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of good football left to be played. And everybody's now starting to look at the power rankings because the power rankings start to take shape. And now that you get in the district, remember, power rankings won't change very much because they cancel out one another. So, so what you see right now, there won't be, won't be a big adjustment of what happens with the next three weeks. But uh, so you can kind of start uh, figuring out exactly who's going to be there at the end. All right, so that'll do it here. Um, I'm going to be on a bye week. Next week I'll be out of town, so Eric Ritchie is going to fill in for me with Coach Monica. But make sure to follow us on social media so you can know where to find our show. Again, follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at DLBF Podcast. We are also now on Spotify, and we have more to come in the near future on Apple and Google Podcasts. So that will do it here. One last, one last, Jason, if I don't mind interrupting here, the um, our speaker next week is going to be Coach Greg McMahon, who's now the he's an analyst with the Texas University of Texas and former LSU Saints special team uh, coach, and and um, you know he's a special friend. So we're looking forward to having him. Sounds great, and we look forward to that. So. For Coach Monica, for Justin Thomas, I am Jason Dewey. And remember, Leslie Bonton will lay with the control. God bless you.